information you can trust, stories you can relate to, and tips and tactics you can apply on your next adventure. Hunting, fishing, camping, and everything in between. This is the Battle Mountain Podcast. All right. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this episode. Today, we have Mike with uh, Bear Ridge Media on the podcast, uh, uh, formerly known, or some of you might know him as Shotgun Mike. And uh, funny enough, we'll probably get into that story, and and that's why I, I had to find out why he was called Shotgun Mike when I had first met him in person. But uh, pretty excited to have Mike on the podcast today because he has been in the media world for, um, you know, I, I don't know, something like the last seven to 10 years, I think, and has been doing it full time and, and making a living out of it. So we're going to dive into his story and then ironically telling the story because that's an important part of going out there and pressing record. So, so thanks for hopping on the podcast, Mike. Yeah, sure thing. Sure thing. So, kind of give us a little bit of your background, and you know how you how you got into you know just you know what what enthused you first off to kind of pick up the camera and start learning about it, and then how you transitioned from just a hobby to uh, you know this is what I want to do for my for my career. How how did all that come down? Sure. So, I mean, basically. Um, you know, I had a, a little bit of an interest in, in filming my own hunts, um, you know, early on, uh, you know, in high school and then and then into college and um, beyond that. And uh, I never, I never really thought that that was actually a, a path I could take as a career. It was just kind of like, it'd be cool to do that and maybe be a fun hobby. Uh-huh. And then... Uh, uh, went to college, didn't, didn't take any, you know, photography or video courses or anything, just get, you know, just general stuff and, uh, started working, um, actually at Cabela's in Kansas city and, you know, being in that atmosphere and around the, um, other people that love to hunt and fish and everything, it, it definitely sparked more interest in, wanting to film my own hunts or get into that, you know, that realm of, um, you know, TV and, and DVDs at the time, um, mm -hmm. you know, filming hunts. So, um, I just kind of, uh, just, I had done some research online and was trying to figure out like, what's the best way to get into the industry and to get, you know, at least some, some kind of education in, in the, you know, filming your own hunts kind of thing. And the, one of the first um, things that popped up when I was doing my research is Campbell Cameras Video School. Um, and I, you know, looked at it and I was, I, I really didn't know anything about Campbell Cameras at the time. I just found you know, their website and, and that they offered, you know, like a three day course on, on how to film your hunts and stuff. And so, uh, 
it was kind of just a a big leap of faith for me to to just go down to Illinois where they were you know southern Illinois where they were located and take this this course and that really (laughs) was the starting point to to what I do now it was uh it was a very eye-opening experience for me because I hadn't zero background or knowledge of cameras and like setting and how you run a camera and like I, I knew basically absolutely nothing about it um I had toyed around with some cameras you know when I was in high school and stuff but nowhere near the the type of you know knowledge um that I have obviously now but so it was kind of just like a I just kind of went for broke and went down there, took the took the course, met some really cool people. Still, am friends with quite a few of the people that I met there. Uh, have worked with some of the people that I met there, and um, when I came back, uh, you know, I went and got a uh, a small business loan. Um, you know, got a business plan together and took it to the bank and said, this is what I want to do. And they, you know, they believed in, in my plan and what I wanted to do. So they, they loaned me the money to get started and bought my first camera and some of the surrounding equipment and accessories that I needed to, to contend in, in the, you know, creating a TV show world. Uh, and after that it was basically you know everything was self-taught um trial and error youtube videos uh asking people questions that were in the industry and you know luckily being at cabela's i had actually met some people already in the industry so it was um that was like my base baseline to to get to know those people and then network from there uh so i mean basically after you know you get the equipment and everything you're going to need to obviously start working so you gotta right right you gotta meet the right people (laughs) that you know want to hire you to, to do this work and and you just have to you just have to you know be good at what you do, but also be good at networking and um, meeting as many people as you can, because you never know, you never know when, you know, you're going to meet somebody that ends up uh, being your next, your next job. Right. Um, yeah. That is, yeah. that is so true. Um, it's, a, and it's amazing, you know, with you saying that it's, it's so amazing too. Um You'll meet someone that in the back of your mind, you know, you're meeting because you genuinely want to genuinely want to meet someone. Um, and you're just like, cool, you know, I met this person, yada, yada, yada. And then out of nowhere, they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, I know so-and-so and I'll, I'll talk to him about you or I'll pass your information on. You're like, I would have never in a million years guessed that anything would have came out of that other than a friendship. You know, it's crazy how that happened. Right. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean networking is huge i mean you obviously got to be good at what you do too you gotta you gotta be able to um you know capture 
the the hunt and and all everything that goes into it but um if you don't know the right people you you're unlikely to get you know the jobs that uh that you need to to keep the business going yep yep so with you know with you not really having any any background or doing any college in it because it you know it's ironically enough that that makes you and I quite similar. I mean, I went into college and I took engineering and drafting courses, you know, <laughs> and I never, right. and I look back at him like, son of a bitch. I should have, I should have maybe looked into <clears throat> general photography or something, you know, and I just, I, like you, I, I never in a million years would have thought that this would have ever turned into anything because I got my first camera so I could document my hunts and show my kids and family and whatever else. It wasn't wasn't really for anything else. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. So, you know, with with your background and my background being like that, how did you how did you overcome the hurdle of you know, you obviously went to the camel camera school, but like you said, you didn't know much about cameras. You, so uh, you didn't know much about the settings. You, you're just new to all of it, which is, I feel where everyone starts. What did you do to combat that and overcome to the hur- that hurdle to, you know, instill confidence in people to hire you? Um, Honestly, the the biggest thing for me was like I just started consuming everything I could find online, uh, YouTube videos, articles, just like you know, pretty much anything you want to learn, you could you can find it online. You just got to know where to look. And you know, seven years ago, there's there wasn't nearly as much stuff as there is now um, out there for people to consume, but. I was still finding, I think YouTube videos were a huge deal for me because I'm a visual learner. And so reading an article was still hard for me to, to like take, take what I read and apply it to the camera gear and the the gear that I had versus if I found a YouTube video, you know, I would be able to watch it and be like, Oh, okay. And then like, I'd be able to just visually see it and understand it. So that was my biggest step. You know, after after the crash course at, at Campbell's for three days, and you know, learning a little bit about how to how to film and how to run the camera and everything, then it was basically from there. It was just me consuming everything I could um, to get me to the point where when I did, you know, start getting some jobs and stuff, uh, I, I at least knew enough about the gear and how to film and stuff that that I was able to, you know, compete and, and, and talk to the TV shows or, or whoever I was working for. And, you know, they would get, they would at least have, you know, the feeling that I knew what I was doing um, to a certain extent, you know, and I, I never would try and oversell myself. You know, I would never say, you know, that I, whatever, I was just always straight up and honest with them about my experience and, and what I had done in the past. And so, I mean, going into that, I knew that 
you, I'm obviously not going to get paid top dollar go, you know, right out of, right out of the gate with some of these TV shows. I was taking on jobs that, um, you know, for daily rates that now I wouldn't even, <laughs> I wouldn't even, uh, think about, but, right? but at the time it was, it was all about getting the experience and, and just building up my portfolio and, and, you know, get the experience was the biggest thing for me. Um, right, right. Because there's nothing, there's nothing um, that you can do to get you, you know, to get better um, in a quicker way than just being out there and doing it. Yeah, absolutely. That was it. It's so funny when you got a when you got a passion. And, and, you know, it's kind of ignited inside you that this is what you want to do, man, the shit that you will do to make that work is, <laughs> you know, cause like you're saying, you know, you look back at that, you're like that. I wouldn't even look at that kind of job. And I took my very first one for free, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. I yeah. Just, like, I don't even care um i will i will come film you <laughs> you know so i uh i i get it man it's just uh getting getting that experience and and not only that experience but as soon as you start getting that experience and you get involved in that world and you're learning to remember to press record and set up your you know set settings on the fly and set up your camera so you you know you have the custom keys and this that and whatever uh, that all breeds confidence. And as you know, once you start getting more and more confidence in yourself and your filming ability, that, that drastically, um, portrays when you start to network with other clients and bigger clients and things like that, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, once you have your camera figured out and like you said, you have the confidence to be in the field and know that you're going to make the right choice and get the right shots and everything you that also helps with your creativity so you can kind of push things outside the box um and do things a little differently when when you know you've captured the things that you for sure need to have and then you can go get some things that that might you know help tell the story a little differently yeah, for sure. So uh, with that, I mean, you know, you you'd mentioned you got started with a small business loan. Um, how much would you say that the gear you have plays into the equation? As far as like whether or not somebody takes you seriously? Yeah, not not only seriously, but – um, like, like my, 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 for instance, I mean, I met you, um, and I, I've been doing it, you know, I I've been filming since 2016, but in 2016, I did one, you know, I went out and did one hunt and then 2017, right. I did one hunt, you know, and then 2018, I did like eight. So, you know, I haven't done that much. Um, so I started very, very small with, a DSLR camera that I didn't even expect to make any money with, you know? Um, so I guess what I, what I'm saying is yes, that that's a whole nother aspect of the question I would like to cover is, you know, with people taking you seriously, but uh, you know, what, as far as producing 
uh, good equipment or not, not good equipment, good content. How much does the actual gear play into just producing good enough content that people can use it in your opinion? In my opinion, um, it doesn't play as big of a role as some people like to think that it plays. Um, you can go out and make an incredible film with, you know, a couple thousand dollar DSLR. Uh, you, you don't have to have, you know, a 10 or 15 or $20,000 camera to tell a really good story and have still really good footage. It's about, it's about the settings that you use on the camera and obviously you know cameras have come a long way just in the time that i've been doing it and um the camera should never be you should never use the camera as uh, a handicap to what you're doing because every camera has the ability to to create really really good imagery you just have to know how to use that specific camera and use the settings that make sense for that camera um, to get the most out of it. So as far as gear wise, you know, honestly, uh, the lenses and the glass that you use on your camera, I feel like is more important than the camera itself. Um, if you have higher end glass, you're going to have sharper image, you know, imagery and your colors are going to look a little bit better. And so I would, I would not hesitate to go out in the field with a, with a, you know, what somebody might consider a lesser camera, as long as you feel confident and, and you know, the settings that are going to get you the, the best image possible. Um, I don't see any, any problem with that. Gotcha. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people um, say basically what you just stated is, is how you could go out and get, you know, like, you know, an A7R2, uh, you know, Sony A7R2 or something like that, where it's not the newest, biggest, baddest Sony camera out there, but then take what's left over uh, that you would save from buying like the A7R3 and put that all into lenses and it, it's, you know, you're, you're almost, you'll be basically in the same place almost purely because like you say, the, the higher quality lenses is you can have the best body in the world. And if you slap a kins, kit lens on there, you're kind of SOL. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's nothing wrong with kit lenses, but you're not going to get the quality out of your image. Um, like you would if you had a little bit higher in glass. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and a lot of like you, I, I started, you know, I, that's where I started was with my kit lenses and just like, heck, just the other day I was messaging you about lenses and things like that. Cause I'm, I'm now in a position where I, we have, you know, we have the funds a, but B it's also, I'm getting to where I am going out on and filming enough hunts that it's you know it, it's time to step up from the kit lenses you know what i mean yeah for sure for sure so so uh, you you know you brought up a, a really interesting point uh when i first asked that question is uh how much 
do you think gear plays into people taking you seriously? That that's uh, that's an aspect of that question I didn't even think of. So, how you know what what are your, what's your thoughts on that? Um, if you had asked me that question two or three years ago, I would have I probably would have told you that um, gear plays a, a significant role in whether or not somebody takes you seriously. Um, now my answer to that is, uh, you should let your footage do the talking for you. Um, just because you have the most expensive camera doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to pull, um, more weight when you're talking to higher end clients. Um, you, you still have to be able to, to use that camera and to, get the best image you can from that camera um i mean you could you could you know have a kid in high school hand them a, a red camera and say go shoot you know go shoot this and <laughs> hope they don't they're cough. gonna have a vastly different <laughs> yeah i mean they're gonna have a vastly different uh final product than than somebody that's been in the business for 20 years that has the same exact camera so um yeah don't let your gear do the talking for you let your footage do the talking for you and i and i think too uh what what comes with that is is when you're when you're newer whether you're able to run a camera extremely well or not you're you're still working on making a name for yourself right so having having really let's just go with a red you know that that's a really easy analogy so say i've been you know i've been to several film schools i uh, me personally you know i'm i'm excellent at running those things but i've never really marketed i've never gone out and I haven't put a ton up on, you know, YouTube or anything like that. So I don't really have anything to back what I'm saying other than I have a red camera, right? I can show on like a resume or something that, hey, I've been doing all this kind of stuff. Um, but because I don't have the footage like you're saying, which I agree with you, I think it's much more important. But in, until you build up that footage – um, that is really high quality and, and are putting those out where people can actually see the footage. Um, something I, I could see how, how somebody could easily assume that having higher end gear could really help. Cause if, you know, if somebody doesn't know me from Adam, uh, and they don't know you from Adam, but I'm using a red camera and you're not, neither of us have anything up on, you know, that they can look at. They would probably look at me and go, well, he must be using the red for a reason. He must know what he's doing. And this is, you know, this is all very generic saying that I do, you know, I do have the background. I just have done a really shitty job of portraying that I have a background. Um, but I think like you've done, you know, you've gone out, you've worked your tail off, you've built a name for yourself. You're producing really high end quality uh, footage and everything like that. Uh, it's it's now much easier to let all the all the footage and your reputation do the talking for you because you know people you've been produced consistently producing great footage. Um, what's kind of your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think obviously you still need to have a little bit higher end equipment if you're going to go after the higher end clients. Right. Um, and TV shows, but you you don't have to have the the best of the best to to compete. Um, you know, any of the footage that you've already shot, you know, it's it, it's better to have something that you can show people than to not have anything to show people what you've done in the past. So, um, yeah, I mean, you definitely don't want to have the bottom of the barrel, you know, $500 point and shoot camera. Um, because that you're not going to get the kind of quality that you need to produce films and TV shows right, out right. of that. Um, but, you don't need the highest end stuff either. Um, if you're, if you're somewhere in the middle, that's generally where most people lie anyway. Um, so as long as you're competing with, with that, with good quality gear, I don't think you'll have any issues. So uh, how much, um, of, of your gear budget, uh, do you think you put towards audio, meaning, you know, shotgun mics, wireless mics, um, maybe standalone microphone, you know, whatever, whatever types, uh, you know, mixers, whatever type of audio equipment, um, how much, you know, how much roughly, you know, and I, I, I'm not meeting an exact number or anything, but I mean, how much weight does the, and, and percentage does the audio play into your gear and in, in the overall outcome and quality of your, of your footage in your opinion? Um, currently not enough. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. I've always known, I've always known that audio is a, a big deal and I think audio, um, I think audio plays a huge role in your final product. Uh, when somebody's watching your film, the, the audio, even though it's not like the first thing that people notice, they will notice bad audio. And yeah. they will notice if something's not, not put together correctly so that it flows um, with audio and visual together. So I think, um, I think that's somewhere that a lot of people lack in their, their budget is that they should definitely be pushing um pushing that higher quality audio you know to have a a bigger percentage of their budget um because you can i mean you can obviously you know make a music video with with a uh a high-end camera and you wouldn't have to necessarily have the audio equipment because you know the um the audio is is already done you know in the the uh song itself in the in the uh studio when they recorded it but um outside of like a music video there's the audio plays a huge role in in anything that you produce um as far as ambient noises and making sure that uh whoever you are filming is is mic'd correctly and you can hear them and you know wind isn't an issue and you're not getting crackling noises or you're not having, uh, you know, frequency issues where you're getting some feedback. So, I mean, it's audio, I think plays 
should play a bigger role um, in, in what a lot of people are producing than it does. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, uh, <laughs> uh, recently have been looking up all sorts of, you know, lav mics and wireless setups and, and all that good stuff because I, I agree with you completely. And I think you can reenact a stock. You can reenact somebody drawing their bow or pulling a trigger or whatever the hell else, but getting somebody to say something over again the last you know five ten minutes they just talked and obviously you're not going to use all five or ten minutes of that but getting them to reiterate it with the same energy the same passion the same feeling as the first time is extremely hard for sure yeah i mean it is so much better to capture that the first time than it is to try and get them to say it's so much like a podcast honestly man I, i've had podcasts i had two recorders going on this one podcast and neither of them worked they both said they were but neither of them worked and i had that call of shame to the guy like hey man um the audio didn't work or the recorder didn't work and i don't know why i'm i am so sorry and the second yeah. conversation wasn't anywhere close to as good as the first one <laughs> Right. Yep. No, it's, I mean, that's, it's definitely when, when it's fresh in your mind and you're, it's, it's off the cuff, I feel like it, it, uh, it has more, um, energy and more, you know, life to it. Right. Right. So I, I would really love to, uh, to dive into a little bit, a couple scenarios, um, of different types of hunts you film and maybe a few of, you know, not every single piece of gear, obviously, but a few of the big pieces of gear that might be different for each scenario. Um, and, you know, Mike, you'll, you'll have to kind of help me with this because I'm not sure, you know, I know you film pretty much everything, but I don't know, you know, I don't know if you primarily film archery hunts or primarily film, you know, elk hunts or or waterfowl. I, I'm not sure what you spend the most time filming. Um, but if you do all of those, I would love to kind of know. So if you go on an elk hunt, what's the gear that you that you focus on taking and why? As opposed to, you know, if you're in a tree stand, what gear do you have and why? Um, as opposed to if you're um, on a plains antelope hunt, you know, what do you take and why? You know, because obviously, especially like myself, you know, and, and I don't know, I, I don't know if you do backpack hunts or not. I have no clue. I, don't, I just don't know you that well, Mike. But I know that if I'm going to go sit in a duck blind, I'm going to have a lot more shit with me than if I'm going to walk 10 miles into the backcountry. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I so mean, I'm just kind of yeah, wondering so, what you got there. Yeah, I so I film every type of hunting. Um, awesome. I film waterfowl, I film tail, I film mule deer, elk, moose. I mean, anything and everything. Um, I haven't done too much of like the back, you know, backcountry backpacking hunts. I would love to do some more of that. It just hasn't been the the people that I've worked for just haven't been doing those type of hunts. Right, right. So I would I would say that most like 
the the largest percentage of of what I've filmed um, for the past you know seven plus years has been whitetail, okay. and you know that's kind of where I I specialize. Um, but I have no problems, you know, picking up the camera and filming waterfowl as, as you know, that's where we mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. met was the waterfowl hunt. So, um, and then I love obviously going out West and, and doing the mule deer and the elk and the moose and everything else. So, um, I definitely have done, you know, filmed a lot of different styles and a lot of different species and, every yeah each one for sure has a different set of gear um that you bring with you and obviously you know each one you're going to be bring a camera and you're going to bring you know your audio equipment and and, um you're either going to have you know a tripod or a monopod of some kind or if you're you know in the tree stand whitetail hunting you're going to want um you know like camera arm uh, that attaches to the to the trunk of the tree and gives you, you know, the mobility of being able to take that camera and move it around uh, the, the tree and get all the different angles, but also, you know, the fact that it's somewhat stable on that arm. So, um, you know, each, each uh, style of hunting is definitely going to give you uh, a different set of gear that you're going to want to take with you. Um, I don't know what specifically do you want to go into as far as uh, so, gear that you, that that differs. Yeah, so I was thinking mostly like um, uh, lenses, you know, because once again, if you're you know like on a moose hunt, for instance, and you're tripping through all those willows and everything like that, I would assume. I, you know, this is just me assuming, I would assume you probably don't carry as many lenses. You probably don't have extra cameras strapped to your body because you don't want them ripping through all those willows with you. I don't know though, because I I don't know. Um, So I I was thinking uh, lenses, number of camera bodies, um, and maybe uh, second angle cameras and audio gear, you know, kind of, kind of the big stuff. Um, cause, cause you kind of sure. already, you kind of already I mean, glossed so, over like tripods. Obviously you're not taking a tripod if you're going to go sit in a tree stand. Like that's kind of a given, right? right. Uh, duh. So yeah. that, that's kind of what I was thinking more, more, more kind of, um, more kind of the main package, you know, not necessarily like, are you taking a different size SD cards and stuff like that? Not really that kind of stuff, but kind of more like your main package. And maybe even your drone. Like, how often do you take your drone too? That'd be kind of cool too. Um, as far as the drone, I take it on every trip I go on. Um, you know, even if let's say we were doing more backcountry or day hunts that we're hiking a bunch, I'm not going to carry it with me, but I'm at least going to have it at base camp to do stuff. Um, but that may change now with the. Uh, I, I just recently got the Mavic 2 uh, Pro, which is the, a fairly small package camera. So there there might be some times when I take it with me in the backpack. Gotcha. But um, anyway, the as far as cameras, it it's all going to depend on what your main camera is to begin with. So there are, you know, there's video cameras out there that 
are basically an all you all around um, shooting camera where you can have you know it's wide it's got a wide angle and then and then you can zoom all the way in you know for a rifle hunt or or whatever and you won't need necessarily another camera um at least on hand to capture other stuff um but it seems to be that that anymore a lot of what we're seeing is is kind of the the more dslr type filming and that really limits you in in versatility as far as as lenses go i mean there are definitely some all-in-one zoom lenses that you can do wide angle all the way out to you know 200 millimeter or 300 millimeter um and some of those are good good lenses and some of them aren't so good lenses you know it just depends on on what you're looking at but uh basically um i take i tend to like to have um you know a, a main camera that has somewhat of a zoom lens so say for instance like a the canon 70 to 200 so you know that works that generally works pretty well for most archery hunts um 200 millimeters is going to mostly take care of that range that you're going to be playing with um in an archery hunt mm-hmm and then I also like to have a secondary camera, another body with a wider angle, like a 24 to 70 or 24 to 105 that, you know, after the shot, if you're in close quarters with your, your hunter, you can switch cameras over and have that wider angle to capture their reactions right away rather than trying to, you know, change lenses on the fly. Um, that's generally, you know, the setup that I, that I like to run, um, with, in a rifle hunting situation, I also like to carry a long lens. Um, the one I, I use is a, the Sigma 150 to 600, and it's a great camera to throw on a, um, like a Sony body or whatever, and put it on a little tripod and, you know, generally when you're rifle hunting you have a little bit of time to set things up for the shot um that's not not always the case but if you do have you know some time to set up some cameras and stuff i definitely like to have throw that long lens on and you know have a good you know framed up shot of the animal when the shot takes takes place and then you run your other camera you know, with a, a little bit wider angle, um, getting the secondary angles of the hunter shooting, you know, their reaction after the shot, like that kind of stuff. So those are generally the the packages that I, I like to use um, on these hunts. I got you. For your, for your second body, is it, is it generally the same camera body as your main camera or do you do you use a little bit smaller ones since it's, you know, as for, you know, for packing purposes? Um, currently, the, the, what I had been using is, is um, when I had my red, I was using it as my, uh, my main camera. And then I had my Sony A7R2 as my secondary Gotcha. Wider angle. 
you know, lens camera. Um, I've been, I'm actually in the process of changing up my, my camera system. Um, I got rid of the red and am looking at some other options, but it, it'll be a similar situation where, uh, my main camera is going to be the larger, uh, you know, larger body camera. And then my secondary, uh, second angle camera will be, you know, like a, like this A7R2 or something similar to that, um, with a, a little bit wider lens, like the 24 to 70 or 24 to 105. Or, I mean, even sometimes I like, uh, especially in a tree stand, I like to throw on like a real wide angle, like 14 millimeter, um, because obviously in a tree stand, you're in a lot closer quarters with your hunter than you may be on the ground in an elk hunter or mule deer hunt. So having that, that super wide can definitely give you a cool perspective when you're in a tree. Um, but it, I mean, it, I love having that, that wide angle out in the field too, if I'm on the ground, just because it does give you a different feel and a different perspective sometimes. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've definitely been looking into some smaller options for a secondary camera just to, you know, bring that weight down when you're hucking all that stuff around. But, uh, you know, generally, generally, uh, like a Sony A7R2 or, or some kind of um, DSLR is, is my secondary kind of wider angle option. I gotcha. So, in your opinion, um, like what's what's the big perks of using a say a Sony A seven R two with your seven to two hundred or seventy to two hundred, your one fifty to six hundred, as opposed to using something like uh, the like the RX ten four with optical zoom so you know then it goes from 24 to 600 you don't have to mess with lenses and you know, all that kind of crap um like what why do you think that that everybody is is in the boat of you know using interchangeable camera lenses as opposed to something like i just said because man it seems like not carrying around all those lenses would would be really handy <laughs> yeah for sure. I mean, I, as far as like ease, ease of use and, you know, bringing that weight down and not carrying all the gear, um, around one of those cameras is absolutely awesome. Um, and they, they I mean, that's what people have been using for, you know, a lot of years. It's just been a fairly recent in the past five or so years that everybody's been switching over to the DSLRs. And the biggest thing, is that the DSLR just gives you a, a completely different look. Um, it's going to give you a little bit shallower the field. It's going to, it's just going to create a very nice um, image. Not that those other video cameras don't create a nice image. It's just a completely different look. And it seems like that's where, that's where everybody's been and moving to because that just has how you know the industry is has started moving um not that one is better than the other it's just the look that the dslrs or the mirrorless cameras give you um is what everybody is liking gotcha gotcha that that makes sense 
So uh, what about what about like second angle cameras? And I don't mean you know I don't mean like your other camera body. I mean I mean cameras like GoPros or anything like that. Do you do you really mess with with extra cameras like that, or do you just try and focus on on your two main cameras? I haven't been using GoPros for several years now, and it was mainly because. I didn't like the footage that came from them. Um, it was just so, it was such a crappy image that it was hard for me to, to want to use those cameras to capture those other angles because a lot of times when you'd get, um, at least for me, when I get into Premiere and start editing, I just didn't even want to use that footage. Um, but, I will say that's something that I'm looking at um, adding to my arsenal right now uh, because GoPro has just has their their stuff is insane now. What the the quality that you can get from their cameras and um, it's definitely going to become a, a a big asset to have one or two of those uh, to throw around and get some different angles with those cameras so i would definitely suggest that that's something that people look at to to add to their their kit um because their footage is just it's just so much better than it used to be and you know obviously shooting 4k and everything else i mean it's it's crazy what those cameras those little gopros can do now Right. I mean, that, that goes all the way back to, it's crazy what even just a phone can do nowadays. I mean, let, let alone the GoPros. I mean, that, uh, what is it? The hero seven or whatever that the, the little, the literally the camera itself is waterproof. And yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool stuff. <laughs> but, yeah, for sure. So, uh, as far as, uh, as far as your audio, uh, I know you know. I know you mentioned that you think people need to put more emphasis on it. Um, do you basically usually run, uh, you know, a mic on each hunter and then a shotgun mic, or you know, what what is your you know what is your audio setup look like, and and what's the what are you trying to capture with each piece of audio that, gear that you're using? I like to use lav mics on the hunters. So, like, I, I use Sennheisers, um, and a, the, the problem that you end up running into is if you have multiple hunters, generally your camera gear is only set up to run two different audio channels. Um, so, if you've got, if you got one, one hunter, you run one lob, and then you run one shotgun mic that, that's going to pick up, you know, just the ambient audio around you. Um, if you're, if you've got two hunters, it de- it's going to depend on, you know, how important the other, you know, if they're, you're going to want to want to run for sure your, your love on the main hunter. But if there's a secondary hunter, you know, is that secondary hunter going to stay close to you or stay close to the other hunter? That way you can pick up some of what they're saying on those mics. Or are they going to be farther away? It, it's kind of just going to depend on the, each situation. But for sure, at least one lob on one of the hunters and then um, a shotgun mic. And if, I mean, if your camera allows it, uh, having a, 
having a you know another couple audio channels to run lobs on several different people would be awesome um and obviously you know if in certain situations you're going to have more than one cameraman so you're just going to have to you know work with that that other cameraman on who's got whose audio so um most of the time when i'm when i've got when it's me and another guy filming and we've got two hunters you know each of us will have a hunter on a lob on our camera and a shotgun mic on our camera so we're we're capturing you know all of that audio from both both directions i got you so uh do you ever have you ever tried using uh any type of mixers or anything like that for your cameras so you can have more lav mics going? Um, I've, I've used in the past, uh, Tascam has a, a recorder called the 70D and I've, I've used that actually on my Sony a7R2 to run audio. And then I also used it, uh, on my red when i had that to run audio and it has four separate channels that you can record you can record to and i've never used all four at once just because i've never been in a situation where i needed to but the problem that you end up running into later is if um if you're running if you're trying to run four you know audio four separate audio channels into that recorder um let's say you've got uh, a shot, a shotgun mic, and then three, you know, three lav mics on three different hunters. Um, where you're, you got to figure out how you're going to rig your receivers on those lav mics. Having three receivers attached to your, uh, your camera setup is definitely going <laughs> to complicate things. Oh man, isn't that the truth? It, uh, that's one of the things that probably annoys me the most is having those damn receivers on my camera. I just, I, I just, yeah. I'm like, just, just come over here closer and talk right into that shotgun. mic. <laughs> you know, the audio is near right. close yep. to is good, but man, it's crazy. The receivers don't look that big until you get them on your camera. And it's like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they can definitely complicate things and and take up a lot of space on your on your rig. Right. No kidding. No kidding. So let's. Uh, that was that was cool. That was that was uh, that was that was informative. Thanks for all that, Mike. Um, yeah. What, yeah. No problem. I would I would really love to uh, love to dive into when you get to the hunt it's time to because obviously you want to leave that hunt with enough captured to tell the story of the hunt um and i've done this enough uh that you know obviously they'll be like well this is this is kind of the story that i want to portray um and and for me because i'm so new to it they tell me that and i'm thinking you know, I automatically start thinking, you know, uh, intuitively, I'm like, okay, so what kind of shots do I need to portray the story the way they, they are wanting it portrayed, right? But so, so with that, you know, when it comes to you and yourself telling the story, 
Um, where do you start with the story and how to tell it? And then what do you do along the way to tell that story and to make sure that you're telling it the way that it needs to be told? And because it, it sounds like a very simple thing, but until you have somebody walk up to you and say, this is the story I want told, and then have to figure out how to do that, it doesn't seem, it seems really simple until you have to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, basically you're going to, the, the first thing I like to do is um, I like to sit down and talk to the people in camp or the hunter or whoever it is that you're, you know, basing this, this TV show or film around and figure out what it is that they want to what story it is that they want to tell and that's going to give that's automatically going to give you um a, a list of things that you're going to want to try and capture along along the way over the you know the next few days or however long the hunt is and um you know that story can change over that couple of days too depending on what goes on you have to definitely be able to adapt to a, a story that just unfolds while you're on the hunt um you know whether it be you know uh, a missed shot or you know just hard hunting or um not seeing the animals or you know there's a hundred different things that could change the way the story is going to play out in the end and that's um one of the hardest things to deal with in our world is you know we're not we don't have a script and and the animals aren't reading it and they're not going to do the things that we want them to do every time and so it's you can't plan out every single shot and plan out everything but you can you can do some things to you know prepare yourself for um getting the shots that that you for sure need to get, you know, just telling the story of, of the, that person in the field, you're able to capture most of that without having any issue um, with, you know, things changing. Um, it's the animal side of things that definitely can screw you up. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, you just, you just kind of have to adapt and, and know that, um, you gotta you gotta figure out how to tell that story with what they have in mind um capturing it with with your imagery yeah for sure and 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 that that to me you know <clears throat> i think uh you let's say you go on on a backpack hunt and it you know there's they they don't really have a pre-story in mind. It's hey, we're gonna go up here, we're gonna hunt for ten days, and if we shoot some, we shoot some. If we don't, we're coming back. You know? And to me, that comes off as much easier to tell a story about because I go up there, I'm gonna film the hunter, I'm gonna film the down times, I'm gonna film the shitty times, I'm gonna film the good times and the exciting times, you know and start to build a story based on that hunt right and if because the hunt there in that situation is the story but man when somebody goes well 
like you know like the the point of this story is to uh you know portray the the hardship because we've hunted this area for the last 15 years and not shot something well first off i would look at him and say if you've hunted here for 15 years and not shot something maybe we should go someplace else (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i I wouldn't really say that but that would be the thought that would come to mind but um you, you know what i mean those are those are two different things to be they're two di- very different situations to be thrown into. Um, and, you know, I had, uh, I had a guy tell me, uh, he goes, you know, the, the storyline that we want to capture here is that uh, so-and-so has X number of animals for the slam, and this is his last slam. And I'm thinking, I, I, you know, my first thoughts are like, okay, well, I don't I don't have any of the footage from from those previous slams you know I I wasn't uh, I, you guys didn't even know me you know so I'm like I'm like how on earth do I how on earth do I do that you know I'm just like I I don't I okay I'm going to do my best obviously but something like that I just was like I I'm not even I'm not even sure you know what I mean yeah, I mean, if you have, if you don't have any supporting footage for a backstory, like you're saying, where he's killed a few other animals, um, and now it's, you know, it's the last animal to get a slam or whatever, that it's going to be a lot tougher to tell that story, and you're you're going to have to rely on um, stuff that you get in the field while you're there, and then obviously you're going to have to do some kind of an interview with this guy, and he's going to have to talk about his you know his journey and his process um not having that supporting footage is going to be a a big deal when you're trying to tell that story the right way and and make it feel like it's all coming together so i mean there there's just going to be times when a client comes to you and wants you to tell a story and you're going to have to you're going to have to either figure it out, uh, do it in some different way that even if you don't have the supporting footage or the back footage, um, the past footage of something, tell it in some other way, or you're going to have to sit down with them and be like, well, if we don't have this stuff that's going to support the story, you know, from, from what you have done in the past, then then let's look at telling a different story or telling it a different way. Gotcha. Um, so it's just going to be one of those deals where you're, there's going to be a story there and you're going to be able to tell it. It's just what story is it that you're telling? Right. Right. And, and I, you know, obviously, cause uh, I'm not, um, I wasn't doing any type of edits or production for them. So I'm sure they did have um, all the support footage that they needed uh, be, because, you know, that they've been filming and keeping it up for a while, you know? Um, so I, I would assume they had all that, but it, uh, you know, it's just, it's kind of in my thoughts, I'm just like, well, if I have nothing to do with that other footage, um, it almost puts me in a weird spot where I'm like, well, 
make making this about the slams is more to do with post-production and adding in that sort of support footage that you're talking about and everything like that. I mean, yeah, you could, you know, if you're sitting in a ground blind or whatever and yeah, you know, I, and they, and they start talking about one of those previous hunts. That's awesome. You know, that's, that's going to help out a bunch, but at the end of the day, going out there and filming that hunt and capturing that story and then piecing it together with the support footage, you know, in post-production, it's like, or in production is, uh, in editing and all that is where it's, where I would assume that, 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 uh, accumulation of the story and building of the story would truly take place, especially when they're having to use all that support footage they already have. Yeah, I think in that situation, you're just going to have to capture the hunt that you're on and, you know, some things that you might, you might do to try and tie it all together. It's ask some questions, um, you know, to the hunter or whoever, uh, about their past hunts that way, you know, they can, you know, ask some questions like how, how does this hunt compare to the last one or, or what's changed or how things, you know, just, try and tie you know all the stories together you know in the hunt that you're on that way in post-production when when the editor is working on it they can take that um that you know in the field type interview or, or whatever and and tie all of the hunts together into one that's what's going to help tell that story gotcha that makes perfect sense that makes perfect sense. So with that, what do, you, what do you think is the most challenging part about filming the hunt? Uh, getting the animal to do what you want it to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page, man, because if that's <laughs> stop, not behind that tree, it, it would all worked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i i mean there's different different situations and different hunts that are gonna give you uh different things that are harder from one hunt to the next so i don't know if there's a specific thing that i can put my finger on that like is hard in every single hunt that i've been on right right um yeah, I mean it's it's going to be different from hunt to hunt depending on who you're working with and what your you know what your what species you're uh, you're after. Um, I mean, obviously, like you know, in a whitetail situation, uh, you know, if it's a November or December uh, uh, hunt and you're sitting in a tree stand all day, the the hardest part's probably going to be just you know being in the tree stand all day and dealing with the cold and and the elements each hunt are definitely you know they play a huge factor in whether it, it makes it an easier or harder hunt so um and then you know in a different situation where you're doing a backcountry hunt and you're backpacking in and you're gonna be hunting elk or, or mule deer or something you know obviously you need to be in, in enough of a good shape that you can keep up with everybody and um you know be able to capture capture the hunt that way so I mean, each hunt's gonna have a different, a different thing that that makes it 
that thing specifically hard. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. It's like, uh, uh, you know, a good example too is, is if you're on a hunt with, uh, like a newer host, you know, um, it, it's then going to be a challenge to get them to, uh, speak their mind, talk to the camera and things like that. And not that they don't want to do it. It's, it's more that they don't really know to do it. Um, or for me, like on, on a, on a whitetail hunt, man, sitting all day, I would, I would probably freak out. I just, I can do it. And I've done it before, but it takes a lot for me to sit still all day. It just does. I have a lot of energy when I'm just sitting there, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I think you're 100% right, though. You know, the uh, the challenges change from hunt to hunt for sure. You know, but what about aspects of the hunt? What What do you think is the most overlooked aspect of filming a hunt? The most overlooked aspect of filming a hunt. Um, I think I think what some people tend to tend to over is like the the little details, the little pieces of footage that you can get that's gonna make a a viewer really feel like they're there with you um you know b-roll is huge if you can the way i look at b-roll is you know let's say i'm sitting in a tree you know on a whitetail hunt i want to look at like what is the hunter experiencing what are they seeing? What are they, what's around them that's, that's creating the, you know, the, the, the situation that you're in. Um, so there's, you know, there's leaves and there's twigs and there's um, the wind blowing and there's the sun coming through the, the trees and there's squirrels and, you know, just birds and there's, so many different things that are going on that you don't really sometimes you just don't pay attention to because you're there and you're seeing it and you don't think about those are the things that's going to make you know make a viewer feel like they're in the tree with you so I would say it's it's the little details that that make someone feel like they're there yeah I would I would have to agree because I and that's that's something that uh, that I feel that I struggle with, and in a because like you said, you're there, you're seeing it, and you're experiencing it. But B, I think, uh, and I'm sure you could attest to this. I think being someone that's out in the outdoors and experiencing it, it's almost as if you take it for granted, so you don't think to film it. You know, because you really. Like my six-year-old, for instance, we'll be out there and we'll be walking down the trail and I'll be, you know, he'll be right right behind me or whatever. And I'll see a pet caterpillar and just keep walking. He'll stop. Dad, look at this caterpillar and pick it up and play with it. And 
that's you know th that's kind of an extreme example but that's something that could potentially add to a story and help people feel like they're really there like you're saying um but yeah you know we're there we're in it i've seen a lot of caterpillars i don't give a damn right and <laughs> i i don't know right. what, what do you yep. think of that no i i totally agree yeah i mean you if you've been in the in the the landscape and and those situations before you look past a lot of the detail stuff and that's that's something you need to you know kind of stop and take a look at your surroundings and figure out what it is that that being there you know all the different pieces that make you know the experience while you're there and so um, yeah, you, you just have to, you have to look at those things that you're, you, like you said, you take for granted or that you just overlook because they're always there and you've already seen them and, and been there and, and seen all that. So those, those are the things that you need to, you need to be capturing is, is what, what is it about where you're at that makes it feel like you're there? Yep. 100%, 100%. Man, I I could probably honestly talk to you about hunting and what to do in scenarios for like the next couple days, um, but uh, <laughs> I because I just I I think that there's so much more. A, it, it, obviously it interests me, or else I wouldn't be doing it, right? But I think there's so much more to yeah. it than meets the eye, and and I am nowhere as deep into it or as advanced as you are, and and I. I don't think that I try and hide that because I, I I'm like you. I don't. I would rather be upfront with people because then they're I I feel they're a lot more willing to help you. A but B you're not going to get yourself in trouble either. You know like, well we thought you could do this and then you can't. Um, but right. just for instance, yep. you know watching watching your uh, like two minutes and thirty seconds Vimeo clip. Um, I've seen enough footage now and I, and I, you know, especially being there with you, I learned so much from you and, and uh, Nick and Tom. I really appreciate that, man. Um, but just watching your clip, I'm watching and I'm like, there's a cutaway. There's a cutaway. There's a drone footage. There's support footage. And I'm seeing all these things that when you just watch it and you don't know what the behind the scenes look or what your what your interface would look like on Adobe Premiere with all those clips and all that music and everything you're like oh this is a cool video you know but when you've built that stuff you realize you start realizing the stuff that's going into it and uh yeah man yeah I just I, I so that that's why I, I just love talking with you and I, I love going over it all because there is I I I didn't count when I watched your clip, but I would say that there is fifty to seventy-five or more different clips, no problem in that two and a half minutes. You know, yeah, and, and yeah. People don't realize that, you know, and and so that's why I, I love talking with people like you on the podcast that have the experience um, that are in the world that are really interested. So I can't thank you enough for for hopping on the podcast with me um maybe sometime in the future you know we could we could like pick a scenario so say like a, a six-day whitetail hunt and we could dive into that shots that you're looking for gear you're using 
you know, stuff like that. You know, maybe we could, maybe at some point we could talk about filming with editing in mind. Um, I just, I think it would be awesome if you're up for coming back on sometime. In we the can future. definitely dive deep. I'm, I'm all about it. Cool. Cool, man. Well, I, thanks a bunch. Yeah, and, that'd uh, be great. I hope you had a blast because I did. Heck yeah, man. I love it.